Daisy. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. It's my little ditty, my little jam for you. Episode 424. Woo! Here we are. Your bestie sings you uh, a jam, whoever you know your bestie is, listeners. Yeah. I've been very sing-songy lately. Good. I, I love yeah. that. I think that, you know, and after you inform, told us all about, like, you know, music and the importance, music of, and dance, the importance yeah. of Yeah. I've get, mm-hmm. been getting really good feedback from people about that love and the, the dance. I think you inspire people with that. Oh, good. Because what yeah. fun is that? I mean, that and is just guaranteed good times. Do, do you think that everybody just wants permission, like, mm-hmm. to dance? You know? Yeah. Especially without fear of it being, quote, unquote, good dancing. Yes. You know, gotta just feel it. Like you, know, we think babies are so cute when they just yes. like groove. Like, why can't we be adorable when we just do it? Yeah, I told Ren the other day. I was like, you know, don't ever feel like you need to hold back on dancing in our house. Amen. I was like, just let it out, man. Just like do it. Like, don't feel like you don't. You know, don't let like you know my bad dance moves impose on your good dance moves. <laughs> Is he? A, oh yeah, I've seen footage of that. He's, yes, very good. You know. Right, he should let. That's a public service. He I know, should let that right. out. It's so fun. He makes me better dancer. You know, steal his moves. That's why, because you always claim you're a bad dancer. When you were sharing on the last episode about how you <laughs> volunteered to dance in front of the class, yes. I was surprised. I mean, was I'm that like, before I, you knew? I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm. I, I wouldn't say I'm like offbeat. I just wouldn't say I fall in the category of like. You know, a dancer, a dancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, okay. my mother would argue against. She, I'm going to get a, a, a angry email about this. Why? And because she hates when I talk about. Like, I got an angry email when I even like, discussed the possibility of getting a boob job. She's like, <laughs> "You will not." <laughs> and then, uh, so I'll say like, so if I were to say like, I have a bad voice on here, she goes, "You." I get an email. She's going to be mad at me for this. So I get an email. Mom, I love you. I love you so much. Get an email. It's like, "You do not have a bad voice. You were in the production of Your Good Man Charlie Brown oh in God. second grade." I'm like, we're <laughs> citing second grade as the evidence before I, uh, you know, like my, you know stint of of cigarette smoking between the ages of 18 and 22 and you know things change as you grow up i would be mortified if my family actually supported my career and listened to our show um like it's the it's the silver lining of having a family that doesn't give a shit oh god i have the opposite i don't have to worry about that yeah no she's she i love you mom she's the best i think a lot of my family members don't even know if and how I make a living. Really? <laughs> if and how. That's really funny. It's true. Oh, my gosh. That's all right. I'm fine with it. Meanwhile, my, my family has, like, a pile of books. My aunt has a book she wants to give you. And, like, they, they not only know oh. what you do for a living, but it's the library book. Have you read that oh, one? Oh, I love that one. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I told oh, her. I was like, I bet, you, I bet she's read it, read it. In fact, wasn't it our book club book? Yes. I thought uh-huh. I told her that, too. Whew. Good thing I know the book club picks. So That's a great book. Yes. By the way, if you want to join our book club, it is not too late. You should definitely do it. It's so much fun. How much fun was yeah. our Zoom episode last time? Zoom episode. I'm I was called that. an episode. Like our Zoom yeah, hangout. Meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was really fun. And then I discovered by because we used to use YouTube mm-hmm. so they could see us, but we couldn't see them. We could just read their questions. But now we do Zoom and so we can see them. So and fun. I cannot believe how many of them look like you. Like me? Yes. Yeah, oh, were, we did talk about this. They're just yeah. the curly hair, like the same, like 
cur- yes. you know, got the curly hair vibe going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was like a, a lot of them had glasses and you had glasses on at the time. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my God, all these people are Sarah. <laughs> so <laughs> cute. I'm amongst my friends, my people. <laughs> Your people, for sure. Yes. Yes. Oh, but I have a cute, well, I shouldn't say it's cute. Well, it is a cute story, I guess. But I was reading this thing in The Guardian about books, speaking of books, and how everybody's kind of turning to the classics now. Have you oh, found this? No. Yeah, so there's uh, – and now – so uh, uh, Penguin Books and a few other uh, different publishing companies are looking at the sales of books right now. Yeah. And it is really interesting that sales spiked, you know, a lot in this time because everybody's wanting to read more. Or I yeah. should say a lot of people are reading more and we, you know – kind of like we're stuck at home so maybe like when you're yeah. at a netflix stuff more fun yeah and uh so the, the the one category of books that they see a big huge rise in surprisingly are all these classics like war and peace the outsiders mm. of mice and men and things so like people that. are like checking things off their sort of bucket their book bucket list there was also so people were like asking questions like do you feel like there's comfort in reading any mm. of those old classics me personally? Yeah. No, I'm not into the classics. Yeah, I'm not either, which is why mm-hmm. I like don't connect with this. But there there were people who were like just kind of looking at it and they said that often classics write about serious things in lighthearted mm. ways. Oh. And it that we are kind of attracted to this and it's kind of like this English tradition in writing. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so they were asking this. It's a wonderful article, and I'll put a link to it um, up. I'll, I'll send uh, send that out and then post it in my stories, of course, and put it in our... I can our... see how, like, if you had read it and loved it, yeah. then rereading it would be um, soothing during yeah. this time. I had read how um, self-help books were real popular right now, but only in secret. Like, that what? All, people are almost exclusively buying self-help books on their e-readers rather than hard copies and they were trying to the the person writing the article was trying to figure out like do we have shame about it or are the people who want self-help books just people who also tend to use e-readers oh that's right or okay but also there is the question about speed and delivery because oh. that's why I have never, ever, 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 ever liked a e-reader style, like you know, version. Yeah, and I have switched over to that after ordering a book and it never arriving. Oh, and so okay, so I maybe when to. people need self-help, they're like, right? I now. need self-help right now. So <laughs> that's interesting. That they shouldn't even consider that. No. Oh, I need to write a letter to this woman. <laughs> And say, hey, this is what I think it is, is we need help and we need help fast. It's and urgent. If, it's ur- the urgency in which you mm. need that. Okay. You know, you can wait for a book. You can wait for E, Pray, Love, you know, <laughs> or whatever else. I might even put that in that category, though. What? The co- I think people self-help. would classify yes, that as self I would. I classify yeah. the book Wild by... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's like memoir that is designed yeah. to inspire or whatever. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, those are in, maybe and and maybe it's like people can escape a little more into the classics because it's like mm-hmm. a time of and maybe like a simpler time where people almost seemed like they didn't have 
a lot of access to the things that we are we don't have access to either. Oh, that's yes. I'm kind of yeah. trying to, and that I don't know if they even said that. I'm just trying to analyze like myself what would kind of make somebody drawn to this because like the the percentage increase is like significant. You know, like things are up like 210 percent, and you right, know, because if you're in, in everything, the things that we're concerned about right now aren't really modernity. It's about relationships right. and like the family and keeping safe and yeah. more like primal stuff. Yes, 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 oh, yes. that's interesting. Yeah. And then like how those people would have reacted to things like loss and love. And death. they're like the same themes. That, Damn, we're yeah. all falling apart. That's what I'm taking away from this. Yeah. Well, and I don't <laughs> like the idea that this person said we're doing it in private because like, Mm. It's so that seems so different than like the messages that I think we're receiving on social media that are I feel like and maybe this is just what my timeline or feed or whatever is filled with. But everything now I feel like is is self-compassion and like understanding like this is what we're all going through. This is a human experience. Like it's okay if you're not doing the best or being the best like this is some shit. Okay, so let me touch on two points because I'm fired up about it. Mm. When, like, I love, first of all. I did um, not think that. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, okay. Suze fired up. Hello, fired up, Suze. Okay, because I, of course, enjoy those messages too. You know, the sort of permission to not be writing King Lear or right. whatever during quarantine, like just right. surviving is enough. Well, that sounds great on Instagram, but that's not oh. what my fucking inbox says. This Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are more things expected of you now. Yes, yes and this is true. just a meme doesn't change that. Dude, you're so right. I'm so you're mad so, about it. I'm mad about that now too. This is okay. You're so <laughs> right. And you are right. You are right. Like we have to almost have this compassion with ourselves. Okay, okay, okay. okay but okay. here's why. If we have this compassion with ourselves, that leads us to have better feelings. And if we have better feelings, then we have more motivation and to to take action and to tackle this big workload. Mm. If you go into it going, oh, my God, I'm failing, then yeah. the feeling is sadness, depression, you know, all that guilt, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. how's your motivation then? Mm-hmm. Not so freaking good. <laughs> so you think it can serve as an inspiration? Yes. That Regardless. we have to have, it's almost like inviting, it, it's inviting a voice of compassion into your head to say, you're going through some shit right now. And then yeah. you respond to that, your body responds to that, and like your emotional like sense of self responds to that and goes, oh, you're right, things are okay. And then you're like, we can do this. And then it like lights the fires and it like gets going. It's like, like you know, yeah. like that. I like that. I just yeah. don't like the dissonance between the feel-good messages that I would love to apply with the reality of what is expected in a capitalistic society. Right. I do, yes, because it does feel like, oh gosh, it feels like it has is, to be from the top down. It There has to be that. Yeah, that. because if you really do believe that, like you surviving is enough, okay, well, someone no, else right. is going to get that job and your kid might no, fail right. second You're grade right. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Second thing. 
<laughs> this is not something I'm angry about. This is just in thinking about um, whether people are buying self-help books um, because they're ashamed on e-reader. Yeah. Well, you know how when you're doing Zoom and there's all these like running jokes on like people that have to do TV interviews and there's all these books behind them, the bookshelf. Yeah. And like what's on their bookshelf has become yep. a big thing. Maybe people don't want self-help books on there because right. it makes them look weak or pathetic. Yeah. Societally mm. speaking. And so they prefer classics on there. <laughs> oh, good point. Maybe they're, they're just buying What them. if they're just buying these books <laughs> as decorative items to go up behind them for Zoom meetings? Yeah. Another point. See, if anything, we bring... <laughs> Alternate hypotheses <laughs> right, to the right. table. Alternate hypotheses. But it could be. It could be the case that people think, oh, God, I need my bookshelf to look like a person that is well-read uh-huh. and respectable. Uh-huh. And so they're like, okay, war and peace it is. When really <laughs> they're reading like How to Make Friends and Like People or whatever that book is called. Yeah. How to Make Friends and Influence People or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's funny. I have you ever you I guarantee you probably don't care about this or haven't taken this in consideration. The kind of books that are in your house. No, I don't. And like what's on your bookshelf? You don't. Mm-hmm. You don't care. Yeah, I don't. Do you? Well, I the the times where yes, only because of the the subject matter. Mine are almost all self help. And if anybody came to my <laughs> house, they'd be like, but I, I read them you. for work and for you know stuff like that and then the other ones is i remember when i lived in long beach i had you know i was like becoming uh uh you know doing more public speaking and i really Mm -hmm. wanted to be like you know knowledgeable on what i was talking about duh so i had a bunch of books related to like sexual assault and like with horrible with names like like child sexual assault you know, and pedophilia, blah, 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 like, <laughs> like, like, you know, traumatic response, response, like, I, it looks like too, too, so That's I had so to hide great. a few of those that, that yeah, right, because you know. people be like, yikes, yeah, and so now I like, you know, pepper in some like Buddhist books, <laughs> like, which I do, you know, <laughs> believe me, anyway, so. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Oh, man, that's really funny. So, okay, so I know what story I want to share with you or or little cute thing I wanted to share with you. Remember when we were talking about Father's Day cards and Mother's Day cards and everything? Yes. So don't be so mad about it. Oh, wait, I'm not. Oh, you weren't. I thought you were saying yes. No, I'm saying yes. I'm right there with you. Yes, right there with me. Did you see, this was like floating around Twitter and I thought it was real cute. The video, the the YouTube channel that the guy started called Dad, How Do I? Oh my God, yes. Oh, Susie, it's so cute. Yeah, usually I hate your good news, (laughs) but this is adorable. Yes. What do you love most about it? 
Well, so it was the idea that he made this YouTube yes. channel for folks who do not have a dad. Yes. And he, his dad left when he was 12, so he knew what it was like to grow up without, like, that male role model. And so he wanted to help kids without dads, like, learn the basics of, like, oh my God. how so to So what kind of stuff's on there? Uh, how to fix running toilets, how to unclog okay. a bathtub drain, how to unclog nice. a sink. Oh, my That's God. That's really nice. Yes. And I didn't watch this one, but it's adorable, and I definitely should. How to be good to yourself, winners announced. So maybe he had a contest, and, like, that's adorable. And, like, he's just, Aww. like, a good guy. That's really cute. I mean, yeah. obviously, it can apply if you had a dad who didn't teach you anything or, you know, for a lot of people, not just How to people change a tire, how to shave your face. That's really oh. cute. I never he should do a Birds and the Bees things. episode. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I need to make a note of that. I need to write to this <laughs> gentleman. Oh, my God. We should have <laughs> on. It will be so cute. Maybe this is just because Father's Day is coming up and I don't have that, that yeah, yeah. thing. And I don't, I, you know, I learned all of this stuff on my own. And it kind yeah. of like I wear it as a badge of honor. But it would be so nice. And my goodness, do I want my kids to be able to learn this from their dad yes how to hang a shelf except i might teach that lesson yeah you're very good at that yeah well i had to be yeah yes i just wouldn't do it though that's the thing you are like well i don't know how to do this so i'll learn i'm just like well it looks like i'll never have shelves (laughs) (laughs) forever ever (laughs) oh gosh so i admire that about you Mm. Mm -hmm. i i wonder i wonder what that comes from that like um, i think confidence? it's an oldest versus youngest thing <laughs> maybe you're the youngest because you're like well if we don't have shelves we clearly didn't need any by the time i'm <laughs> like, maybe i, can I just, just do don't that. believe i could learn is it's a confidence oh, thing. oh but well, you're always like i can yeah. do that yeah my mom filled my head with those she told That's me i could great. do anything that was great yes yes yeah maybe too much to a fault i wonder if this guy is making dough off of youtube oh well, I hope so, but I'm I mean, just curious. The, I think he probably will go much more viral after this, I think, right? Yeah, and he can get paid for all of his service. Yeah. Oh, that's really cute. God bless him. Oh, man. Father's Day. I mean, dads I are really overrated, though. It. Let's be celebrate honest. It. You know, well, I was telling Rand about everything we talked about, and he thought it was real cute that we, we were saying that maybe dads won't be like that in the future and that he would want a Father's Day card that was not mean and <laughs> yeah i mean it it's definitely come a long way but yeah. like when you read about the domestic labor disparity it's still crappy mm-hmm. basically women started working and kept doing everything around the house yeah well so and right now i it makes it's really oh my god did we talk about this about the percentage of women who so they they studied they asked men and they asked women, do you do 50% of the teaching? The, oh, my God. Did yes. you hear about this? Yes. Oh, my God. It made me sick. And what was it? It was like, <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to remember the percentage. I want to say it's something crazy. Like 97% of men said that they, yes, they do 50% of the education and 3% of women agree. Yeah. <laughs> was, like they're not doing it. They're totally not. Oh, like they, my God. They print out one piece of paper and they're like, yep, I'm helping. Mm-hmm. 
I told yeah. Adam, I'm like, just stay out of here. Don't even bother. Like, let's. I would want to take over that job of teaching. Yeah. Yeah. But I like doing I mean, that anyway. Adam wouldn't be good at it. So, like, we got to yeah. know our strengths. You know but how I feel about chore charts. So, <laughs> I feel like I, can, I love it. I can turn it. I was telling Ren yesterday, I was like, you know, his work has like a reward system or based on like, you know, they do something well and they get like, you know, kind of some like reward system for it. And uh, as many to do. And I'm like, oh, so like a grown up chore chart. It's <laughs> like, what? No. And I'm like, yes, you can give me anything we do. And I can tell you, I could somehow break it down and whittle it down to how it is in its essence, a chore chart. <laughs> yeah. My, my Les friends, Heather and Kelly, they made a, a chart uh-huh. to see who was doing the most labor Oh my God. Sometimes you <gasps> think you're doing an equal amount or more, but you're really not. Oh. So they got to the bottom of that. I love that. Well, I play this, this fun game. Well, I think it's fun with couples and couples therapy called What's on Your Plate. And I, there's this oh, yeah. um, list of, uh, it's called, I think it's called Who Does What list from the Gottman Institute, which is like this you know, famous institution institute that studies marriage and, and relationships and couples. Yeah. And so good in fact that they can predict whether a couple is gonna get divorced with like ninety seven percent accuracy right. by just watching them for a couple hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, so they have this list and it's pretty much every single duty that you have in the house from like buying greeting cards to like taking making dentist appointments mm. to everything. And so I pr- put it them all on um, uh, popsicle sticks and I have one set for the guy and one set for the girl like well w- one partner or other partner both people yeah. you know what I mean and uh, uh, then they have to put on their and I give them little plates and they have to put on their plate what they think that they do and at the end of it it is always exciting <laughs> like you're watching the Super Bowl yeah because they're looking at it and then like you're going to talk about all of them because it's like, oh, you did this. Because also it's good for eliminating things where two people may be doing one job. You don't both need to be buying greeting cards. Let me ask you this though. How did, I'm sure they can't do this, but I would like to account for the degree of difficulty of the chore. Mm. Because some jobs are bigger and more laborious than other jobs. Yes. So I wonder how But then again- what I can't stand, somebody else, like, I, what do I hate doing? Uh, I, I hate, hate taking out the laundry. trash. Oh, okay, see, yeah. I don't mind folding laundry. Okay. I like it, in fact. <laughs> Smoothing out all those wrinkles. <laughs> yeah. Ren, I don't like it like I want to do it all and only. Like I just don't like show. all the fabric. You know how I feel about fabric. Oh, you don't like that? Of course. Oh, yeah. yeah I don't, and there are some things, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, well, like, what were you going to say? I, I was going to say, like, gar- like, when I was little, it was gardening because I didn't like dirt under my nails. But then I was like, yeah, as an adult, I just got gloves. I don't know why <laughs> that was a problem when I was little. Maybe it made my fingers feel dry or something. I didn't like how it felt. Boy, you just needed a pair of gloves all the I time. I did. What the heck, mom? Give me some gardening gloves, would you? <laughs> so rude. Yeah. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So I can't believe I waited this long to, well, I mean, we were talking about other super important things, but (laughs) talk about the freaking discovery of a parallel universe that's popping up yes all the sciencey you know what is the scoop on Susie? what is this well okay so here's what they're saying they're saying that they're working on this experiment in antarctica and they just they're discovering this evidence that they're showing the evidence to show that the rules of physics based on what they're seeing, are the complete opposite. So they're like hypothesizing that at the time of the Big Bang, there were Mm. different universes that were created, one that we exist in where time runs in the direction that we know it to run in, and Mm. then there is another one where time runs backwards, where everything is like the opposite, which, oh, my God, how do you even wrap your mind around this? So they use there, this, it's like this giant balloon that they send high above Antarctica and these high energy particles hit the, out like the, the balloon. They come from outer space and they hit the balloon and they're super high energy particles. And we use these like sent from like way far away from a <laughs> long, long ass time ago. And then we're like able to measure stuff with it. Okay. And they're supposed to come in that direction from space towards yeah. Earth. They're finding that in this zone that they've been like this measuring since 2000, they've been measuring it for a while now, since like 2004. And they keep trying to use different experiments to say like what it isn't like, or like to prove, okay, so maybe it could be this. Maybe it could be an optical illusion. Maybe it could be this. And every time they uh, propose one of these like, like alternative, alternative hypothesis, it comes out back that. No. So what's when happening? When you say it, oh, yes. What is the it? Oh, it the the readings. So what's happening is these high energy particles that are arriving to Earth from outer space that usually flow in that direction. They're now reading that there's instead this super high energy flow that's like crazy that's coming in the opposite direction, like from Earth out. No. Yep. And they're it's it's like mm. there's they're like coming up out of the Earth. And it what? says that the find this finding implies that the particles are traveling backwards in time. What? The Come does on. that give you goosebumps? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So some people think that it could be a different type of particle that maybe changes when it passes through Earth and then comes back again, but then they prove that to be not true. And like a whole bunch of people are like, whoa, I'm not comfortable with this. And then a bunch of people are like, this totally fits into what we've all been thinking all along. So they they're the what's so funny in all of these scientific articles is they still don't know so you read all of the stuff yeah. and then at the very end the scientists will say this guy um uh what ha, let me look at how to pronounce his name his last name is safa so we'll call him mr safa he said <laughs> we're left with the most exciting possibilities or the most boring and oh. it's like this could all be all this 
uh, 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 all proof of a parallel universe where there are inhabitants, where they would think that we're the backward ones if there were inhabitants there, which I don't even know how that would work. My brain would wrap around that. Or the machine is malfunctioning. <gasps> it could be that. Like, it, it could be that. I mean, they're trying all these. It says everything's working right. And I read another, so I read a couple articles on this, and there was one that said there's another research team that's not, like, the same group of ways away that isn't picking up any of this data. So is it just this area? I'm not, it's It's, just, it's like we... We either have a parallel universe or they need to get, like, an Allen wrench and, like, tighten up the universe. (laughs) Could that's be. what you're telling me. Well, that's what they like. All these articles, they wait till the very end, and then they go, or you know, maybe this is totally boring, and it's like nothing. Do you? So they're saying if there is a parallel universe and time moves backwards, are they saying there is a version of each of us there too, or is that? I mean, not it gets it gets tricky. I mean, yes, that that could be, but like, who knows what this parallel universe could. I mean, like, I don't even know. It's too much. Because, like, what does time running backwards look like? (laughs) How do you do that? I do. But then it's like you can't even begin to just to to describe any of this or like or maybe is it like like everywhere there's it's infinite possibilities. Like that's what infinity is, right? Mm-hmm. like an infinite number of possibilities that all are coexisting at the exact same time. Like how, what? I mean, how do we even sleep true. at night? I you know, it probably is. And that's fine. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> it's fine. You right. Know. I guess it's no big whoop, no skin off my back, but it's like, freaky. So, so here, do you feel like, oh, cause this is what I feel like is happening is that we've, we've, we're starting to reach, oh my God, now I'm like getting deep into the, like the mm-hmm. whole of like the science part of my brain where Where's our uh, when I we don't, need it? I don't take a deep breath. Um, <laughs> like, uh, are we getting to that place or have we reached this exciting place where the technology is now giving us the mm-hmm. ability to read and measure these things that were once unmeasurable? I mean, there was a time where we just had a, you know. Ruler, and then we had a microscope, and then we had, you know, whatever comes after that. And, uh, you know, so I was thinking about your telescope the other day because, you know, Venus is like just hanging out, and I see it all the time now. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm looking at a star. And that Mm -hmm. you can see see Venus with your telescope naked eye and telescope. Yes. And when you look at it through the... I'm very fascinated now, and I've wanted to ask you all of these things in real life, but I forgot. So now we're going to do it on the air. When you I wish look, they were more powerful. You know, the ones you have at home are kind of yeah. not that How impressive. much can you see? Like how... But still, if I can just make out... Like, what can you see when you look through it? How, I think it's supposed to be like a 40X. I think that's what they call it. Something yeah, like that where... Yeah. Um, that's how much more you can see. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it is brilliant yeah the, the well, when you look at it what about the moon how could you what kind of view that's of the moon pretty do you impressive get like you feel telescope. like if there was somebody on the moon you could see him what <laughs> but, oh, but you can't it just i know you like can that. but like i that's so oh god that's so cool and like think about how excited we get about just that and how like i don't even under i barely understand how that works and now you're going to try to explain a parallel this is universe what I, to me? This is what freaks me out is that I can't... Okay, when they yeah. invented the ruler, 
I'm pretty sure <laughs> as soon as that was invented, as and you said, here's what this does, everyone knew how to work it. This is true. But, like, there are people that can test for parallel universes. Oh, my God. This is why I am extra frustrated, you know, because I was reading about this. Ren and I were talking about all this today. And I was saying, this is why I'm pissed about at those flat earthers. Because yeah. you want to tell me that, like, we're so... Go home, little. Like we don't. You're not even playing on yeah, the same. Yeah, you were too nice about them. You're playing checkers, episodes. and they're playing space chess or whatever, some <laughs> parallel universe chess. You know, like they to think that we're discovering parallel. Yes, yes, the Earth is round, and also there are parallel universes. Like the science is right. there, and I don't Catch even up. understand how to read the articles about that. And That's I would consider myself not to be like completely science illiterate you know yeah man that's what i'm saying is there are people on this earth who um can conceive of how it would all work the mechanics of it and enough to develop tests and then to get results from them i can't even believe that that (sighs) they understand parallel universes i know and but i do i do the when they do say when they say that when the big bang happened you know and like time as we know it well however oh my god i can't even think about that gosh see where's the weed now that's what i'm saying we should have talked about that when we were high as kites no shit i well i could have tried but you know who knows you were like (laughs) In your own parallel universe there. I thought that it was uneventful, but when I talked to my friends, they were like, no, you sounded high. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, that's really and, fun. Yeah. That's oh, all you can really ask for. Speaking of which, we Susie and I were talking about listeners out there. Uh, her second experience smoking pot with that thing and mm-hmm. how it was much more pleasant. And I said, yeah. And then I thought, well, well shit, man. We should have just had you do a, a pre. I mean, yeah. it is hilarious to have the very first time you smoke weed. <laughs> be on the air yeah because but then my friends were like how did it go i want to know everything and then i'm like we were on zoom and i was like let me just go get it and i'll show you and yes. so i did it again no almost no coughing just a little like yeah ah. and then yeah, you're fine felt real relaxed and high and it about i don't know 45 minutes it lasted yeah uh, that's it was great so, yeah 45 minutes that's it no yeah. and no now nah, see that's like maybe it was longer but like that's what i felt like, i was like right, okay what you feel yes what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way <laughs> maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Uh, I have another thing to run by you and see uh, if you would be interested in. How about the idea of going back to eating at restaurants? Yes. But... Dying to. Dying to, right? Yeah. But... What if while you were eating to maintain mm-hmm. like the same feeling of like there being like a social vibe, mm-hmm. you dined amongst mannequins? 
Yes, right? Did you see this? Yes. What do you think? I mean, Are you I into like it? it? It doesn't Susie. bother me. Susie. What? Explain yourself. <laughs> well, okay. I'm just thinking of the motivation because I think a lot of restaurateurs are um, realizing that they are only going to be able to seat at like 25 or 50% capacity yeah. depending on the size of the room. And so they don't want it to feel sparse and cavernous. Yeah. And so they're like putting dolls there instead. I and mean, it's like not ideal, but dolls, it's funny. Some of these places. <laughs> what do you mean, like old like, timey? Yeah, like old timey. Like one, like the place that I was, <laughs> there's this one that's the Little Inn in Washington, or the Inn at Little Washington, I guess it's called. It's this three star, Michelin three star restaurant in Virginia. Oh. And all the mannequins are in 1940s era clothing. I love it. What is your problem with this? I feel, okay, in a weird way, I feel like it would take away from, I would, oh, God, do I get, I think I don't like mannequins. (laughs) You have a phobia. I mean, it's not a phobia, but I just feel kind of weird eating in a, eating next to them. Why do you think there are people inside them? (laughs) No, I definitely don't. (laughs) I just feel like in a way I'm pretending about, do you think I would be into this? I, I would have, yes. Maybe this goes back to, like, my mom being a wardrobe stylist and taking me to stores or, like... <laughs> You've seen some, too many mannequins. I've seen too many. You like, know too much. Mm-hmm. I or, think, or, like, me ha- having to dress them for work. Maybe do I relate that to working in retail, Gucci and Nordstrom? It Listen, I don't think it's ideal for sure. I wish we could just go back to normal. But that would but make me want to eat at a restaurant actually less. So you would prefer just empty seats? Yes. I prefer being spaced out. And think about that. Think about the restaurants. Like a lot of these Michelin restaurants are only a few seats to begin with. Yeah, to begin with. Yeah. And wait, here's the part. (laughs) No, 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 no. There is more. I forgot the most important part. Oh, what? You have to pretend like they're real and you talk to them. The waiters do. Okay, now Thank I have you. a problem. I, I'm sorry. I totally forgot about that. That's and they're like, ridiculous. Yes. And they're supposed to interact with the waiters. No, the waiter's supposed to interact with them in That's order to That's demeaning to waiters. That, exactly. Come on. It's like dinner theater. Yes. And then I feel that that's what it is. And I feel like it totally... And if you saw what these mannequins look like, these are not exactly the cream of the crop mannequins. (laughs) They're not realistic. These are not exactly the same as the ones... I'm going to send you this picture right now so you can see what the GD heck (laughs) this looks like. Wait, where... You think you'd be next to the top. There you are. Um, Oh, Mm. I was... Every time I open up my text with you, I find a text that I was going to send you that I never pressed send on. Oh, okay. So look, I have, I'm sending it right now. There you go. So have that one. And then you can also (laughs) have this hilarious photo. Baby, (laughs) bump, bump. And tell me if you'd like to dine across from this lovely lady. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to. Oh, oh. Yeah, she <laughs> she's seen better days. I mean, come on. I mean, good Lord. She is not living her best life. What is no, wrong I, with her face? Right. It looks like Melty. 
<laughs> so like no, that see. doesn't make me very and then i'll spend more time looking at the mannequins and they kind of get me like a creeped out feeling and like that would make uh, me yeah. lose my appetite and i feel like if you're a three-star michelin restaurant i don't want to spend my time looking at creepy mannequins i want to look at your delicious food that's award-winning i would presume yeah maybe they could just put up other things that are beautiful to look at like art like, or i feel like this this sh- what should be happening at the cracker barrel <laughs> now yeah. uh, may, mind you i've never been to a cracker barrel oh so you're I don't missing know. out they're great but i don't know about that is it they're like an great, east midwest Sarah. thing east coast thing yes yeah, and i don't why don't you know about that what do you mean i don't know i don't i all i know is they sell cracker barrel merchandise yes but i said they're great and you said i don't know about that <laughs> oh no i don't i <laughs> I did not mean it like that. I meant to say, like, wow, very defensive of the Cracker Barrel. Because <laughs> I feel like this is a classist is it, is attack. It, is it Cracker Barrel or the Cracker Barrel? Just Cracker Barrel. Uh, yes. Okay. See, like, that's like, I, I was saying the Cracker Barrel. So I, need I have to... a rocker from Cracker Barrel at oh my, my house. God. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm very uh, mm-hmm. you, you have a name for it? No, 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 no. What did you say? I just was saying I'm rustic, you know? Oh, I thought you... Oh, my gosh. I totally heard, because I was talking over you, Maria. And I was like, you named it Maria? <laughs> How hilarious. Wait, Tell me, I need to know Maria. the origin story. Oh, yeah, that is too barrel. funny. Cracker yeah, Barrel no. is delicious food, and the stuff they sell, the merchandise, is yeah. great. Like, and it's not... I'm not classist against that, because I love Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Right? I would argue Cracker Barrel is a little bit better. More. A little bit better than Sizzler. Yeah, because it's like down home food, you know, like. Oh. Like you, you would make I thought it was like a salad bar. No, it's People like. People are going to be a, angry at me. <laughs> or they're going to send me gift cards to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I'm hoping I'll for the latter. I'll take you there. Do, I wonder if they even exist out here. Do they not? No, oh, I've never, maybe, I don't know. Maybe at like the rural areas. Yes, interesting. Anyway, it's delicious. Yeah. I think you'd like it, and I bet it's better than yeah. Sizzler. Yeah, probably, yes. Is Sizzler a buffet? No wonder you like it. I, yes, it is. <gasps> Speaking of which. I know. Susie! R.I.P. Buffet. I'm so mad! <laughs> Did we already talk about this out here? We or talked I, about it I, at my house. Oh, that's it. Good. I was like, because I, I was just <laughs> about to say... I've out, I'm outraged and I've I've complained to everyone I've seen and then I just realized in my head it's just you and Ren I've complained to which right. is everyone I've seen but yeah I'm sure you're really sad I'm so sorry I am no I am actually sad about this like yeah I'm mourning if people don't know always, I'm mourning yeah. the death of Sue Plantation <laughs> oh people despite were like what is she the, even talking about yeah despite the racist name no, it is. I do. They. Oh, are they going to go through maybe a rebranding and bring back the same? They're you, not, Sarah. Just accept your <laughs> denial. You're in a denial stage. Rebranding. Through. This is so true. That's <laughs> tragic. I am really, really sad about the death. The death of the buffet. It is my favorite thing. We did talk about this. I'm going to have to recreate that from here on out. Every single birthday I have will be a buffet theme. <laughs> this is a fact birthday buffets yes wow. 
Oh my god, it has a cute name too. See, look at all the fun things that we like. I do not understand what you love about them so much. Because I like a little bit of a lot. <laughs> it makes me feel like I don't have FOMO on everything. Because yeah, like the one yeah. feeling I can't stand, and people, I know there are people who are with me out there. I hate mm-hmm. food remorse. Where you order yeah. something and then you look around at the table and other people have better shit than you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm like, God! Because I panic in the moment of ordering. And I yeah. never order the thing that I really want. I just go, ah! And then <laughs> I always say oh the wrong thing. Oh my God. So the so buffet it, cures that problem. Y- oh, yes. And I hate or- the, the act of ordering, like making a decision yeah. and thinking it's going to be the wrong one. It always is. And yeah, gosh, why is food picking the one place where I do not know how to make a decision, but I can pick a paint color. No problem. We should wear all black in memory, in loving memory of buffets. Yeah. Oh, I will. RIP. I'll take this photo. For my, yes, I'll get a veil. I'll go stand. (laughs) This this is, this, I'm going to have a full, I'm going to go mourn. Photo session. Yep. Photo sesh. There we go. Ren, get your camera ready. Here we go. We need to get you for your car. You know how when someone dies and then they memorialize them on their car? Like, you know, um, it'll say like John (laughs) 1972. (laughs) Yeah, you should get one. Oh, I bet Sizzler's on its way out too. Yeah. Sizzler has now I now that I hear the that's a terrible name. That's awful. Sizzler is yeah. No, not Sizzler. Soup plantation. (laughs) Sissy, Sizzler's fine. Get on board. Both of them. Both of them. For different reasons. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Sarah, I have to tell you, though, we have a guest today. Oh my gosh! Yes, do you mind if I, or did you want to get anything out before I introduce her? Uh, no, no, definitely. We can, we can, we can. Yes, I was. I, I mean, it's so quick, but I just think everybody should look up the Chipotle and Elf burrito, uh, 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 the Chipotle burrito and Elf makeup collaboration. Oh, why? What is that? Yeah, so the, the Elf makeup brand, you know, the, like the yeah. brand that's in Target, they did a I collaboration with, with Chipotle, and they came out with a set of makeup that comes in a pack that looks like a wrapped burrito no it's, it's actually really adorable at first i was like looking it up because i heard about it and i'm like oh my god this is some bullshit and i thought this was gonna be the same as the stupid shoes Taco the, ch- yeah, the kfc kfc and the uh uh, uh crocs crocs <laughs> and uh then i i like tried to hate it but i couldn't it's adorable and it like all the like they have the primer kind of looks like sour cream like they have them in a little it's really cute and they look like normal colors and everything it just comes in like adorbs packaging so at first i was gonna be like ugh, and then i was like oh and also now i'm hungry for chipotle so well done (laughs) 
Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Okay, well, uh, (laughs) our guest today is an author named Kate Winkler Dawson. I've had her on before. She had written a book called Death in the Air, which I loved. This book is called American (gasps) Sherlock. Oh, yes, I remember this. Yeah, wasn't that a great one? The Death in the... Oh, it was so good. Yes. Well, she's back at it. Her book's called American Sherlock, Murder, Forensics, and the Birth of American CSI. Oh, well, if this isn't right up our alley. Good. Yes, she talks about this guy who was a detective, like, before that was really a thing, who used forensics, which wasn't, it didn't exist. Like, we take it for granted now because it's on all the shows and everyone knows all about forensics and DNA and all that. But he was doing it back then, so he would, like, figure out the trajectory of a bullet or figure out how a stab wound got there, and, and he could figure out who did the the crimes and it's really fun to hear about all the crimes and then how he figured out who did it, who done it. And uh, she's a great writer because she tells you like a historical thing. Yes. But through the lens of these fun little news bits from uh, years ago, it's really great. American Sherlock, Kate Winkler Dawson, pick up the book and enjoy my interview with her. She's wonderful and you will love her. Welcome Kate. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show again, um, and congratulations on your new book. How are you feeling, man? I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, you know, there's nothing like a crisis, is it? <laughs> I know. I was wondering, because you did a lot of your interviews before it got crazy, right, with corona. Yeah, and, you know, we had some events cancel. I'm I'm really yeah. lucky that I went on tour before all of yeah. the madness happened, and so... You know, I, I've had to do some in-studio stuff I thought I was going to do in-studio here in Austin, Texas, and we had to do it over the phone, and we had some events canceled. So, you know, you just you kind of got to do what you got to do. I'm taking this yeah. as an opportunity to be creative, like hopefully a lot of people can, and, you know, just being at home and doing research and writing and all that. Yeah, make the best of it. I have yeah. been um, seeing, though, a lot of authors that their, you know, book drop date kind of got messed up and they can't really promote it. And I'm trying to help, you know, get get the word out and support the authors. But it's just so sad. It's sad for everybody, but it's no fun when you have a project you've been working on for ages and then kind of gets hijacked, right? Yeah, I think it's really frustrating for a lot of authors because... You know, right, you're right. I mean, this is, for me, it was a two- or three-year project. My books tend to overlap. And um, when you're ready, I mean, you know, unless you're Stephen King, a lot of times it's like a good solid week of media, and then it starts to drop off. I've been lucky because true crime is so popular that I get to do a lot of interviews, but you, most of my friends, it's like a week and then you're done. So what happens when that week is this week? It's hard, it's tough. Was your um, interest in true crime inspired by the trend or did you just get lucky? No, (laughs) both. I mean, I started doing on Instagram a little series I like to call um, bookshelves for my mom's house, which are these... (laughs) ancient copies of like Stephen King and she has in cold blood. I mean, no joke. Like they're like more older than me. I'm 45. So they're 50 something years old. But I just started, I was, I spent the night there one night. It's my childhood home. And I just started lining them up by the fireplace because (laughs) they're just, you know, that's what I grew up in. And, you know, when I was nine or 10 flipping through these books 
And then my father was a law professor at the University of Texas criminal law. And so I went to all of his classes all the time. Oh and God. we talked about forensics and we talked about profiling. And, you know, he really was very passionate about um, innocence. So he started the Innocence Project at UT. And I've, you know, collaborated with them. So it all sort of, it was a perfect storm of things that led me to true crime. I'm just lucky that it's such a popular genre, you know, yeah. and, and I, I get to have an opportunity, I hope, to try to help elevate it, you know, because I don't do the kind of true crime yeah. where it's blood and guts. I do history <laughs> and, like, with social issues and why why it matters and what we can learn and, you know, how it reaches forward today. So That's you know, what I, I love about you. That is the coolest thing, how with Death in the Air and American Sherlock, you... It's so fresh. I don't know how you came up with this sort of approach, but I love the way you do it, because you're telling a story and it's really great page-turner in that way, but you're also providing context historically about in this case, the birth of, you know, forensics and crime and all of that jazz. I mean, is it difficult for you to do it that way or does it come naturally? I mean, I guess it comes naturally. I, for some reason, um, I think, you know, I'm a big history buff. Um, probably I think I know a lot more than I do, but I end up throwing myself into these really complicated time periods. And so I think you combine that with, you know, I, I grew up reading and and understanding narrative storytelling and I watch for someone who is married with two children teaches full-time and writes and mm. and works on podcasts I watch an incredible amount of television and <laughs> that's so great I'm so <laughs> impressed I, I will say secretly I am a super fan of the challenge <laughs> even though the demographic I'm like 30 years older you're than only human <laughs> So, you know, I, but, I, but the, sh the stuff I watch, particularly Netflix is really episodic. You know, it's mm. the, it's the cliffhangers at the beginning and the end and the drama. And so in my books, I emulate that. I really, I like to open and close with some drama. I like really a lot of, a lot of visuals, even if it's a book, I come from a documentary background. And so I think all of those things like I, you know, you have to recognize that, you know, uh, writing a book about forensics was really important to me. There's a lot of good forensics, a lot of bad forensics. But how do you get that across to a reader mm -hmm. and not make them feel like they're being preached or right. fed, fed a lot of boring facts? And so you have to hide all that stuff. My agent says it's like 80 percent um, candy and 20 percent yeah. medicine. Yeah, <laughs> it's a spoonful of sugar. And you wake up and you're you're like, oh whoa! I just learned a whole lot about <laughs> bloodstain pattern analysis that I really didn't want to, but now it's pretty cool. So that's the goal, where people kind of go, whoa! I've walked away with a really cool story, but also I feel like I'm a little more educated in something that's really relevant right now. Yes, and you in early on in the book, you say that the book is about the most famous criminalist you've never heard of. Why the heck haven't we heard of this guy? You even said he didn't have a Wikipedia. I actually haven't checked recently. I was on All Things Considered, and I joked about that. Maybe now I will. We'll see. You know, he'll he'll end up with one because, gosh, I feel like even my neighbors have Wikipedia pages. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> yeah you're, you're like this one. guy's hype man. I love it. I know. And so um, I think it. somebody asked me that, like, how how do we not, how have we not heard of this guy? But I challenge you 
to tell me the the name of any famous forensic scientist mm. throughout history, with the exception of oh, I can't remember his first name now, Lee from the O.J. Simpson oh, yeah. case. Oh yeah, right. And I and I, I so you know they're just they are quietly working behind the scenes. They aren't the flashy detectives or the prosecutors or the defense attorneys that are in front of the cameras or in the newspapers. They're working in labs. And Heinrich was amazing and made these headlines because these wacky cases that he worked on were so complicated. And he really did have this incredible way of analyzing a crime scene and, you know, now there are experts, right? There's a ballistics expert. Mm. There's a bloodstain pattern expert. There's, you know, someone who's an expert in fingerprinting. And you're not going to necessarily send a ballistics expert to a hanging. But somebody like Heinrich, who in the 1920s knew 20 or more different disciplines like botany or, you know, ballistics or chemistry, he could walk into a crime scene and realized that there were really relevant tests from multiple disciplines that he knew that other people just wouldn't know. They just wouldn't. And so that was sort of his superpower, I think. But, you know, he solved more than 2,000 cases, not all criminal, but more than 2,000 cases in um, his lifetime of 40, 45 years of working in, um, in law enforcement. But, you know, he really... Um, a lot of these were boring cases. He would do like will disputes. Hmm. Um, you know, it, these were not all these head scratcher whodunits. And at the beginning of his career, he would be brought into a case pretty far into the investigation because the cops had hit a roadblock and they finally would say, okay, call this guy. <laughs> He's expensive, but call him in. And um, so he would be a couple of weeks behind the curve. And sometimes the crime scene had already been released and you've got a contaminated crime scene now. So as he progressed in his career, he was brought in earlier and earlier. And so sometimes he was the very first person there, which, which you know, is normal now, but it wasn't mm. back then. So he was really remarkable. It sounds like in the book that he may have had some challenges, perhaps um, OCD or at minimum, maybe some anxiety in that way, but he used it to be very productive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a good example of the ways in which our own challenges can serve us if we kind of harness them. Um, do you think that he was a happy guy? <laughs> I'm just curious. No, no. Well, I'll give it some context for your listeners yes. because I know the things you're thinking about. So I suspect I might be a little OCPD because when <laughs> I walked into his archive, which is at UC Berkeley, which is, you know, his son, after he died in 1953, donated his entire laboratory to UC Berkeley, where Heinrich taught criminology for decades. And so this archive had been closed for more than 60 years because it was so big that the archivists over the decades just said, I don't want to deal with it. And I had to petition to have it opened up and they started cataloging it. And when I walked in, I just looked and went, oh my gosh, I know exactly what this guy is doing. He had journals that were from decades and decades before where he literally 
tracked every penny he sent oh personally. Uh, he spent personally and professionally, right? So five cents on butter, 10 Come cents on. on eggs. Yeah, and it was a controlling thing, a big time controlling thing. And it's because, you know, his father died when he was very young. He left them in poverty. And Heinrich was constantly in fear of being bankrupt, which he almost was several times. And so I think, you know, his this sort of need to control everything also fed into this OCPD of wanting to catalog and categorize and organize and sort of compartmentalize everything. I think that in his professional life, he was very satisfied. Hmm. But in his personal life, I think it was more difficult for him because this OCPD that he had in his professional life, it taught him how to organize a crime scene in a way that no one else had ever been able to define. So how to collect evidence, which he did painstakingly, and I can only say this because it was painstaking for me <laughs> to read through his notes to figure out what the, you know what, I'm going to stick into my book because it was so, it was like 5.2 centimeter long feathers oh and fatty God. arbuckle sweet. It was really, uh, it was incredible. But for someone who works in such detail with microscopes and in evidence, and he was such an exacting anal retentive person, it made sense. Now in his private life, it was really difficult. He was really kind of controlling. Um, I don't know if he was, I didn't get a sense he was particularly controlling with his wife, but he was incredibly concerned about his two sons and how they were spending his money because he, you know, he grew up in poverty and he wanted to give his sons a better life, but he was constantly in fear of being foreclosed on and losing everything. And yet he sends his sons overseas. One of them is at, you know, Oxford University. I mean, he really lavishes them with things. Mm. And it turns, I think it makes his life very difficult. He kind of has this push-pull and he's resent, resentful of his father who, um, you know, died by suicide and left him penniless. And it just, I think it just kept compounding as it would with anybody as you're getting older and older. Um, and a friend of mine asked me one time, this is so, such an interesting question, do you think he picked up these OCPD habits because he was a forensic scientist and he knew it would make him more effective? And of course, I first said, I don't think that's the way it works. <laughs> I don't think it's something you kind of right. like. Take on. <laughs> but I think it was the other way around. I think he was a forensic scientist because yeah. of his need to juggle. It's like, well, why do I do 5,000 different things? Well, it's because I feel a little crazy when I'm not juggling mm -hmm. stuff. And I think that, that that is part of it. And thank goodness for him that it's it was productive. And for society, it was really productive. So he was able to channel his personal issues um, you know, into something and mental health issues into something that was really, really good. It just, I think, you know, I mean, the man died at his desk. You know, he couldn't quit working. Oh, my God. I forgot. Yeah, it's a role. It was, you know, he, he worked until he was in his 70s. Probably the saddest thing I read near the end of his life was um, he was essentially telling his eldest son, I am supporting you, and this is a son who was in his 40s, I'm supporting you. I cannot retire because oh of you. No. And I and I installed handrails in the house just so, and he's 73, just so I can get down to my lab and continue working. And so, you know, 
I think that I think he juggled a lot of, of different things and he was constantly constantly struggling. Uh, but the control issues were to me. I was bordering on hilarious because he would journal when he journaled. He had a Stop. journal. He was eight to nine p.m. journalizing, and I, he would he charted his urine levels for a couple of years. That's a lot. He you know wrote down when he woke up, when he went to bed, when he smoked a pipe, when he had a nap, when he didn't. I mean, it was. Oh, I'm tired well, just well, listening to that. That's okay. awful. I know. It was amazing, though, because somebody who does that, I can, I, and who keeps all of their letters, I can create such a rich, you know, profile of this guy. It was really, for me, amazing. It was yeah. incredible. I mean, that's that. pretty special that you, not only that you were, had access to it, but that most people really didn't even know that he existed. It's just so cool. You found, like, a real treasure chest. Yeah. I loved the um, overalls to- story of the bungled heist. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Sure. So uh, that actually ties to how I found him to begin with. So the first book that I know you and I chatted about, Death in the Air, that I wrote, was about one big event and people within that event. So it was the 1952 smog in London that killed 12,000 people. And then these real people caught in it, a little girl, a politician, and a serial killer, because it's one of my books. Of course, there's (laughs) some, some wackadoo killer in there. So the second book, I wanted to kind of do the reverse. I wanted several events, not just one event, several events, several crimes, several killers, but through the lens of one person. So to me, that was you know, kind of a super cop, super prosecutor, or a forensic scientist. And so I just bought a book, which is probably the laziest thing anybody could ever do. And it's the it's an encyclopedia of criminals from the pilgrims. And yes, somebody came over on the Mayflower who ended up being a, a, a multiple killer. Oh my and God, I'm so into this. I know, it's a great story. All the way until the 1970s, because um, the book was printed in the 70s, which is perfect for me. Because I don't really care about anything that happens after I was <laughs> in the 1950s. Everything else can bugger off. I'm happy. You're the so older weird. it is, the better. <laughs> the older the better for me. I mean, I love the 1800s. That's hopefully the next book. So um, I just started read through it, and at about a page 100, I guess. I started reading about this train robbery, which is not the most interesting thing to me, but the picture in the book of this train had been blown to smithereens by these, like, numbnut would-be robbers who didn't know how to use dynamite properly, and they <laughs> blasted a, a large part of the train. And not only did they blast apart the train, but it was the train, the part of the train that held <laughs> all of the money that they were hoping to steal, so they exploded this part of the train. That's they what were happened to me. I know, right, it's not, you know, it was poor planning. There was <laughs> for sure a moral compass in that story. And so these three brothers take off, and in the story in the book I was reading, and it had the um, this, you know, the moniker, America's Sherlock Holmes, and it was Edward Oscar Heinrich, and how he did this amazing feat where in the story... These robbers, again, not the brightest in the world, left behind a couple of different clues. The most telling clue for Oscar Heinrich was a pair of overalls. And so the federal agents came down um, from uh, Southern Pacific Railway and the U.S. Postal Service came down and they combed through this, literally through this pair of overalls 
and the only thing they could find was a little mechanics grease on one of the pockets. And so they promptly went out and arrested the first sleazy looking mechanic in town who put on the overalls and they kind of fit and they threw him in jail uh, and, and proceeded to give him the third degree uh, to try to get his accomplices, the names of his two accomplices. And uh, the sheriff was really feeling insecure about this. They didn't think they had enough evidence. And so they sent the overalls to Oscar Heinrich. And the train robbery happened in 1923 in Oregon, and Heinrich was in Berkeley, California. And so he gets these pair of overalls, and he spends a, a solid 24 hours with no sleep going through this because, you know, the country is, is freaked out. I mean, it is international headlines, three robbers. Uh, they called them the, you know, these incredible death-defying uh, bank robber, train robbers, who never actually ended up robbing the train. <laughs> yeah, they're just the doofuses. The doofuses, really. <laughs> and, I mean, it's sad. They're, they were, they were, they turn out to be kind of a tragic case. So, and they're three brothers. And they're in the wind, and Oscar is left with this pair of overalls. So he starts doing what he always did, which is he methodically goes through every tiny centimeter of these overalls. And he doesn't just pick up trace evidence. So he does. He picks up, you know, um, wood chips. He picks up that were in the pockets. He picks up um, that the, the grease on the overalls was not actually grease when he looked at it under a microscope. It was the pitch from the fir tree in a, a very particular part of Washington state. So that combined with the chips that he found in the pocket told him that this is somebody who, who was a lumberjack. And he kept kind of adding to that. He said that he knew it was a lumberjack because of the way that he had, this guy had turned up his cuffs at the bottom of his overalls. He could tell that that's how they would shove lumber. He knew lumber. He knew a lot of lumberjacks and he knew that they shoved their, the bottoms of their overalls into the top of their boots to stop from damaging the bottom of the overalls. And he could estimate the weight and the height and the hair color. And, uh, you know, he had a whole slew, it was like 20 or 30 different pieces of information uh, on this guy. Not only that, he pulled out the, a tiny little minuscule paper ball that he was able to steam open and read the numbers. And it was a U.S. postal receipt from somebody who was using a false name. And they were able to trace it and conclusively find who this, who one of the brothers were. Um, who still went on the run for two or three years after that. But it was a it was such an incredible feat because, you know, the federal agents had said this is worthless. These overalls really aren't telling us wow. anything. Which was able to just meticulously look through all of, you know, his evidence and pull together this profile. I and think that's also, so cool. It was amazing. And you know what was interesting was that this was criminal profiling before it really was criminal profiling. So this is way before the Behavioral Science Unit was started and the FBI in the 1970s, if anybody's seen Mindhunter on Netflix. And there was criminal profiling before the FBI started that department, but it was usually after they were caught. So it would be a profile of someone to determine whether or not they would stand trial, if you know, insanity, it was not often used before the person had been caught to try to predict who it was. And Heinrich was very good at doing that. He really prided himself on it. 
I, I still see it now. They've gotten very good at it. Um, I remember when they were looking for BTK, they had this profile just based on, I'm sure, the techniques that um, Heinrich developed. But they yeah. were, they're good at it. Whenever they find these guys, they tend to match what they predict. It's so cool. Yeah, and then now, you know, they go back and, and interview these guys and you, and you get whether the information was accurate or not. I think, you know, you get a really good idea. Now we recognize how important it is to talk to these criminals and get more and more information. So um, I think, you know, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Well, and to us, we sort of take it for granted, but he really got the idea that a man's habits reflect one's personality and he could kind of predict based upon human, probably because he had the challenge of OCPD or whatever, he really understood human behavior in a way that was helpful. And I think that a lot of that started when he was younger. He, um, you know, he was very smart and as he was a very smart teenager, he grew up in Tacoma, Washington, but his father was a carpenter and was very poor and constantly, you know, under the gun with money. And when his father took his own life, Oscar was forced to drop out of high school. And he took a job that I think changed the trajectory of everything, all his destiny, which was he became kind of a, a you know, a, a delivery boy for a pharmacy in Tacoma when he was really young. And the pharmacist there encouraged him to read up on, on being a pharmacist and go ahead and take the state board exams and become a pharmacist when he turned 18 because it would be a good job. And, and so Oscar did it. He didn't have the money to go to formal classes, so he just studied on his own. He passed, he became a pharmacist. And that was where he learned about human nature. He saw people come and, you know, people would approach him all the time trying to get drugs, medicine that they had no right to have. Um, he saw a lot of lying, a lot of stealing. He just made a lot of observations. Mm. And of course, he learned about toxic toxicology. He learned about how to make drugs. And then he said that was the beginning of handwriting analysis because he had to constantly interpret the horrible handwriting of all the doctors who were giving him, you know, prescriptions. Some so, things never change. Well, but, right. So, you you know, I don't know if he would have gone into forensics necessarily had his father not died. He wanted to be a chemist and he really loved being in the lab. But I think that he just, as a pharmacist, became exposed to so many different natural disciplines that fall under forensics now. I think that that really attracted him. I have already taken too much of your time, but uh, do you have enough time to talk about the Fatty Arbuckle situation? Sure. Yeah. So that case was pretty remarkable. And I don't know, I think you might know this, Susie, that the handprint on the cover, did you know the handprint on the cover of the book is Fatty Arbuckle? No. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I'm so into that. Wow. Uh, He had a big paw. He did. He was. He had a big hand. Holy yes, he was smokes. a big man in every sense of the word. And he was um, Heinrich was a, a big, big photographer. And so when I got into this archive and I was talking to the archivist, I was working next to her, and I got out this big box and I started looking through the stuff. That's what really told me Fatty Arbuckle's story. So in 1921, uh, Fatty Arbuckle was larger than life. He was the biggest star in Hollywood. 
he made the most money, more than a million a year, and he was a silent film star. He kind of always played this country buffoon, but he was really sweet and very, you know, smart. He was a great comedian and very large man, you know, over 300 pounds. And he had just completed a film in 1921, uh, and there was one in the movie theater already. And so his manager wanted to throw him a nice party in San Francisco at the St. Francis Hotel, which was and is still kind of a swank hotel. And so he threw a party with a bunch of Hollywood men and paired them with a bunch of chorus girls. And uh, by the end of this party, um, a woman named Virginia Rapay, who was an actress, small-time actress, um, became very ill. And then a few days later, she had died. And the women who were there, the chorus girls who were there, gave a lot of mixed stories. And essentially, it came around to Fatty Arbuckle and Virginia Rapay had had some type of a sexual encounter in one of the suites at the St. Francis, and that, you know, it was unclear whether or not this was consensual, but that he had inadvertently killed her. And at first, when he was arrested, uh, the prosecutor charged him with first-degree murder, but they finally made it down to manslaughter. And so the biggest star, really, in the world ends up in jail awaiting trial, and Heinrich works for the prosecutor to really nail Fatty Arbuckle. And this was an interesting case for me because, you know, it really showed the vulnerability of being a human in a scientific world. You know, Heinrich was supposed to go into that case with, um, you know, open an open mind, open eyes. You know, what you're supposed to do as a forensic scientist is tell the story based on what you find in the evidence. And Heinrich really didn't like Fatty Arbuckle. He really thought that Hollywood was dragging the entire country into hell. He thought women should still be wearing corsets to a certain extent. I mean, you know, he was a pretty, pretty stodgy guy. And so he really let his bias drag him through this case. And he used some bad evidence, some bad fingerprint evidence to continually hang a jury over and over again until I think it was the fourth or fifth jury finally acquitted Fatty Arbuckle, but it absolutely ruined his career. And it was totally based on unreliable bad evidence that Oscar Heinrich had used in trial. And he, you know, his arrogance is so interesting because, of course, it mirrors Sherlock Holmes's uh, <laughs> arrogance. And I, I read probably... 2,000 letters between Heinrich and his best friends and, you know, his kids and his wife. And um, I never once saw him even have a shadow of a doubt about any case he worked on. <sighs> and that's problematic, I think. Mm -hmm. I really think that, you know, you really have to constantly scrutinize yourself. I mean, I do that as an author. I, yeah. you know, you're constantly having to challenge yourself. Am I doing this right? Do I need to improve this technique? you know, have somebody else look at it. And he never, ever did that. So I think that that was, um, that was a really uh, stark contrast to the Oscar Heinrich that I felt like I knew where he really did just sort of, you know, in the David Lamson case that you see at the beginning and the end of the book, he started out working for the uh, prosecutor and then the middle of the case switched to the defense because mm. he did not believe it was murder. So... Uh, yeah, it was really, uh, it was startling to, to 
read Oscar's notes about just how much he disliked Fatty Arbuckle and and what it did to the case and to you know to the country so yeah i thought i was glad you included that though because he did some really great work and had such success but you know we're all human and there was some mistakes made along the way so i thought that was a great um example of that um okay so now the book is out have you gotten people saying i read it and i love it what's the feedback yeah, it's been really great. That's I so think good. I've got yeah, I've gotten a lot of I've got no hate mail so far, which is wonderful. <laughs> Do uh, you ever? Really oh my good. god! And no, uh, no, I haven't. Um, you know, but I you you. It's really hard to release a book, just I'm like sure. it would be for you with a podcast, because I always liken it to like having a baby, being pregnant, mm. giving birth, and then inviting. like Kate are you there this baby yeah you hear me Sorry, you start that over sure 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 uh when I release a book I always liken it to having a baby and then inviting anyone and everyone to comment on its looks or its intelligence <laughs> I mean it's really like would you really do that no then why do I do this you know it's something you spend so much time working on and it's so personal and I always get people who reach out to me through the website and argue with me about one word no. that, you know, was used, was used. And you know what? I used to toss those out. I would just sort of poo-poo them. But I keep a file now because for the paperback, some people make good points when they reach out to oh, me. I'm like, nice. oh, I really need to take a look at that. You're not like and Heinrich. You'll take some no, feedback. I need to cr- yeah, sometimes, if it's especially if it's, if it's done right, but I would have people respond with page numbers and trailing phrases like, this is what you should have said. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. But I always think feedback is really helpful. I've been pleased. The book has been great. And, you know, we have a lot of interest, kind of Hollywood interest, which is, of course, really exciting for me. So it's been a wonderful experience. I'm so happy for you. And I just hope you keep writing. And I hope people keep reading because we're all bunkered down. So hopefully that is one industry that carries on and, and helps us get through this weird moment. And I read my audio book, which was the most terrifying experience <laughs> I've ever had in my, it was just horrifying. Because you think like, <laughs> wait, do I know how to read? Right. No, you know what it did to me is I now have about eight phrases that I have vowed I will never, ever write. <laughs> sure. You don't write. You don't write to read aloud. You yeah. write to for you to be read. And so I was going through this and going, dang it. <laughs> Why did I say that? <laughs> That's hilarious. But I mean, helpful. But I have to say, and I had, it took me about five minutes to say anonymity correctly. <laughs> and I thought this is banned i'm banning it from any book in the future so. <laughs> well i'm sure that's a fun experience though in the end because that is something most of us will never get to do that's pretty cool and i might never do it again yeah, yeah, you're like once and only <laughs> once <laughs> but i just hope everyone reads it i love your work you you Thank combine you. all the things i love and i just want you to keep doing it because you're magical and wonderful only because you're asking so nicely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a public service, Kate. <laughs> uh, yeah, so stay well. We'll just get everybody reading American Sherlock, and uh, hopefully this moment in time will end soon, and you can get back to your real normal life. 
Me too. You guys too. You have it worse than we do in Texas. California is a mess right now. So I hope everybody reads and listens to Brain Candy mm-hmm. and Sarah and Susie. And <laughs> we got to keep entertaining people while they're hungry. Uh, yeah. Now. I mean, seriously, you do. But thank you so much and congratulations again on your book. I hope you're feeling good. Me too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.